0: Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church, Mid-Sussex. Now, uh, I've called this Running for Jesus, but don't worry, if you don't like running too much, this is particularly for you, okay? I I haven't run much myself since I was at school, but somewhere in the COVID pandemic, um, I did couch to 5K. And uh, it was all right. I, d- I did it and I kept going. And actually, I'll be honest, I did it because Carol did it first. And she did it and was doing great at it. And I thought, if she can do that, I can do that too. Uh, and so I, I enjoyed running, I started running. But last summer, I crashed my bicycle and I bust my shoulder. And uh, so I couldn't run. I could only think about running. I'll I'll be honest, by that point, I was starting to miss it a little bit. So I read a rather colourful book uh, by an injured runner, uh, a kindred soul, if you like, uh, whose adventures eventually led him to run with a legendary Mexican running tribe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but they're called something like the Tarahumara. Okay, this uh, Mexican running people, legendary for their running. They just run at an amazing ability. Without training, they take on sort of elite international runners and just leave them standing. Incredible. So it's fascinating. All of that led me to reread the bits of the Bible that speak about running in a fresh way. Uh, And more often I recognise the Bible speaks about our relationship with Jesus as a walk of faith. But it seems as if that's not quite the whole picture. There's times when it seems to want to say something different, something distinctive about running. That also matters for us knowing Jesus and following him. I found it really important for me personally, really important for me in the role I have here as a pastor to think about that. So when Jim asked me to speak today and uh, I just knew that this was going to be the right thing, felt like an important thing for us as a church, for you watching online too I hope this time. So I'm going to read a few verses from the beginning of a letter to some Jewish Christians uh, in our New Testament. It's called Hebrews. It's chapter 12, and I'm going to start at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us or faint hearted. Now, let me be as clear as I can. I've, I've told you about running. I've told you I like running. Honestly, I don't want to make a big deal about that. I, I, I'm, a, you know, I'm a bit private about it usually. I prefer running at this time of year because I can run in the dark. <laughs> and not too many people see me. That's, that's my kind of running. And actually, this, although I talk about running, this isn't really a talk about running, this is a talk about looking to Jesus. It's inspired words that I believe speak across time, tradition and culture, about what looking to Jesus is like. What to expect, how to live uh, looking to Jesus again and again, in every season, in every circumstance. And so we read it thinking, what might it say to us in our time today? I look at it and it begins... This passage, and ends in this way, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and ends, we consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that we don't grow weary or faint-hearted. You may have heard this before, therefore, whenever we read a therefore in the Bible, it should make us look over our shoulders at what was come before because it links us to Hebrews 11, this uh, rich catalogue of faith heroes, one after another. Boom, boom, boom. It's, uh, it wants us to look at their lives and, and think something about them, to remember them and recognise them and, and understand what that's about. And it calls them uh, a cloud of witnesses. That's not a typo, that isn't just some sort of mistake that's happened in the passage of time as if it should really read a great crowd of witnesses. They weren't trying to say they were sort of misty or vaporous either, this you know, wafting about somehow. It turns out that the term cloud was important to them. It, it was how they described something that was tangibly significant, a, a significant gathering of people We've got a whole bunch of collective nouns now. We, you know, I, I think you call it a parliament of owls or something. Some people get all excited about what collective nouns are, but for them, the collective noun for a group of really important people that you needed to take notice of was a cloud of them. But this wasn't just a cloud. This was a great cloud. We're trying to say there's loads of them and that makes a difference. It counts for something in time. It, it counts for something that means something. It was meaning something to them then. It was As they read it, you're going to get this and think, right, a cloud of them. Yes, of course there is. Okay, so to land. I, I don't know how you describe something like that or what other kind of analogies might make sense to us today. I read someone who said it's a little bit like God's Westminster Abbey. Anybody been to Westminster Abbey? I'd, I'd, I had a guided tour around it some years ago and what I discovered was as grand as it looks on the outside, it, it's actually a kind of indoor graveyard. Have <laughs> I, I you ever thought about that? You know, oh, here's where so-and-so is buried and Dickens is over there and, and so on and so on. Apparently... There's like nearly 3,000 of the great and good uh, from our nation over time that uh, have been buried there. So it becomes this important place now, with all that sense of history, for new historic moments to be had. If it's significant, right, it better be in Westminster Abbey, that place where we remember all that's gone before in other lives. There's some of the same sense of that, in that therefore, and this cloud of witnesses. Are you aware of what your life is in a place of history? What it might count for in terms of what's gone before? Who else has been something? The, the writer to the Hebrews is trying to tune us into that, to have an awareness. of it. We can get busy in life and we're just trying to do stuff and not muck up. And forget what it might count for in the whole of history. These heroes of Hebrews 11, they're more than merely spectators casually observing, you know, as if they're there like scratching their belly, saying, Pass me the Doritios, Let's see what Cornford does then. <laughs> no, they're offering some kind of meaning to our struggle, to the day to day, the doings of our lives. They remind us that we too will be faith filled and heroic, or we can be, depending on where we look and how we act and who we are and what we choose to do in each of the moments of our lives, whether we recognise we are surrounded by history and significance, whether we are prepared to endure like they did. They show us the process of faith life works. It's the right way to the right end. It's the way that we should live. They remind us that our faith is lived out in so many practical and yet radical kind of things. They were building and blessing They were giving up and going over land and sea. They were waiting and wandering. They were mocked and mistreated in loss and in life. Facing lions, enforcing justice, in faith, through fire. In so many different ways, their lives lived in every place that their race took them. Always with God's word of promise. Always with God's words of promise. But, but, often without actually knowing or seeing God's work. Oh. Maybe we feel the same sense of that. Do I see what God's doing in my life? Where do we look? Has anybody else felt like that? There's a whole chapter of them in Hebrews 11. They're for us, to remind us and encourage us. And it says something too. This collection of faith heroes is still being compiled. And it asks us, will you be in the final set? It asks us the question, how will we live in that way? Will we look to Jesus? Will we endure like they did? Will we make the kind of choices that they were prepared to make, whatever the cost? Whatever the outcome, whatever it seems like, whether or not it seems like they win, I can't help noticing too the kind of people who aren't in this cloud the popular, the comfortable, the seemingly successful, the influential, the, the life hackers, the shortcutters, the efficient, the easy winners, the always in controllers. We live a kind of life where everything around us is telling us to live differently, to run our race in a different kind of way. I, I came across an old-fashioned term this week, Herkel I'd never heard of that before. Apparently it's a great term, it just sounds good, doesn't it? Herkel <laughs> Apparently it's 19th century Scots. And it describes lingering under the covers of a warm bed <laughs> long after it's time to get up. Oh, yes, I'm going to Herkel Durkel today. I wanted to Herkel Durkel today. I wonder if we live as Christians thinking, if only I could Herkel Durkel all the way to heaven. Oh, I'd like just to be comfortable as a Christian, warm and cosy. If only I could hirkle-durkle all the way to heaven, said no faith hero ever. That's what chapter 11 tells us. Those who will make the final faith hero cup, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself and they don't grow weary or faint-hearted. This passage thinks it's worth noticing the inspiring lives of others in the way that we live, in the readiness we have for choices that look at Jesus and choose for him. And as important it is to be inspired by them, it's vitally important, it says, to consider Jesus' life. We might be inspired by faith heroes, but... Jesus is our true example, our forerunner, some translations give it. I discovered in my little running reading that uh, distance endurance runners traditionally would teach each other by following in the footsteps of a forerunner. They would teach each other. They would go, this this is where you run if you're going to run this race. This is when you speed up. This is when you slow down. This is how you go through that particularly uneven terrain. If you do it on your own, you'll mess up. You won't know the right way to run each bit of the race. Follow me and run like me. And then you'll know how to run this kind of landscape. You'll know how to take this route, how to follow that terrain. I wonder if we want to consider Jesus to look how he ran to run like he run, to be ready. That's the kind of running that will endure. That's how traditional endurance runners teach each other to endure. Otherwise they burn out, they injure, they do the wrong thing at the wrong time. Even with the best intentions, that's possible. Are we weary or faint-hearted? Are we considering Jesus? Are we looking at how he lived, how he ran? and how that might teach us to run. We all need someone to look at as we run, as it turns out. Endurance runners tell me that too. They have to find something or someone else to focus on while they are running. And what they'll tell you is that if you don't, you are very likely to sabotage your own run. Without the right focus, we will all lose some sense of what we're doing and why we are doing it. Weariness rockets <laughs> and endurance <clears throat> plummets. What am I doing? This is killing me. Why am I keep going? This is hard. It hurts. I want to stop. I would just like it to be easier, more comfortable. Why does it have to be this Way. I don't know if I want to be a Christian like that. Let us consider Jesus who endured for us. It goes on and says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And it says, Let's do that remembering Jesus who belongs so close at the right hand of the throne of God and yet picked up the weight of our sin while despising its shame. We don't throw off our confidence, we throw off the right things or the, the wrong things, the things we definitely don't need. Hebrews 10:35, 36 says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised but runners yep, yeah, it involves lycra these days uh, they strip down they, they throw off stuff anything that hinders what's unnecessary even if it's not inherently bad and they throw off what entangles they will just want to get rid of things that will trip them up sin that's going to stop them take them out of the race I don't think, I know, you know, what I've found with running is, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly, I'm not, I haven't gone all out on this. I'm not on sort of super shakes and fancy diet stuff. I'm just, part of the good thing about running is you can just eat, which is nice. But what I find is that when I run, I know what I've eaten differently than when I'm not running. Because you don't know how many cakes you've had when you're sat on the sofa, But you get up and run around the block and you think, I'm wondering if I've had one too many. (laughs) It's just a whole lot more obvious what I've carried, what hinders when we run. In other words, you know, it's much more obvious. Cake is good, it's very good. But how much cake is good for running? And if that's true for running, what about the rest of our life? Things may be good, but how much of it is good for my faith? How much of it is good for my life following Jesus? How much of this are we taking in? Jim alluded to this a little bit last week. Some of his own ways he was being provoked in that. I saw someone uh, saying they'd done a calculation. They were talking to preachers saying, people in your congregation, you know, in two weeks, they will watch as much TV as they will listen to your preaching in a whole year. <laughs> it's sobering, isn't it? How much screen time, you know, on, a, on an average thing. I, I'm sorry, I haven't got time. Time to join in with a week of prayer. I'm, I'm ever ever so busy. January's a busy month for me. It's fascinating what a sense of time we have. What is slowing down our faith? What is hindering us from following Jesus? How do we view those things? Philippians 3.8 I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, key term is count. Things that are actually worth something are counted as worth so much less than knowing Jesus. In fact, they become less than worthless. They're actually a hindrance. I don't want them. I want to take them off, get them out of my life. I could follow that team, I could watch that drama, I could read that book, I could go to that interesting place, have that wonderful holiday, but do I notice if or when it means I'm missing ways of knowing Jesus more? Is it helping me know Jesus? Is it hindering me? Are we prepared to live that radically, be that honest? Do we actually want to run for Jesus or would we rather stay on the sofa and wait till he comes and finds us there where we don't have to notice that, where we don't have to feel that we're carrying that? Where does he want me to be acting or serving? If we are looking at Jesus, we'll have a sense of that. Where can I be doing what he would be doing or... Giving generously like he does? Do we know if something is slowing down our faith? I try to notice myself when I'm giving something the kind of heart space that I'll need for knowing Jesus more. It's a provocative way to consider our own lives. And then maybe I need to check if I'm counting right. Is that, is that getting too important to me now? If it is, am I, am I going to choose that over Jesus? Just, you know, I'm, I might not notice it in the first place. We need to think carefully and radically if we're going to throw off things that hinder us in the way that Hebrews talks about. But it also talks about what's stopping your faith, sin that entangles us. It's a sober reminder, I think, that sin will not necessarily trip us up on the starting line of our race. It will entangle us some way down the line. Sadly, as we look across the world of Christianity, every year we see that. High-profile Christians got entangled some way down the race. It happened last year, the year before, Sadly, I don't need to predict. It'll probably happen this year. What about, you know, I can think about them and what they shouldn't have done, but what am I doing? Am I looking carefully at the sin in my own life? Am I thinking about it and thinking, or am I being casual about it? We need to take sin more seriously. Jesus endured the cross But he despised its shame. Do I loathe sin like that, I wonder? I don't know if I do as much as I should do. Do I detest sin like Jesus? Do I find it utterly repulsive or subtly attractive? Curiously captivating. Curiously, I think, and the thing is, throwing off what hinders us will never seem quite enough without looking to Jesus. On its own, it's just some kind of asceticism. Simple living. New minimalism or something. Looking at sin on my own is dangerous. Looking to Jesus, who helps me see, it'll help me every time to see what I need to throw off in my life what I need to get rid of, ruthlessly acting now, today. How are we preparing to endure in our Jesus following for whatever lies ahead of us? Are we taking sin seriously? Do we know what hinders us from following Jesus? Do you know what captivates your heart more than Jesus too readily, sneaks in and takes space have we decided how we're going to count it all as loss from here on it goes on and says let us run with endurance the race that is set before us knowing jesus endured the cross that was set before him i want to highlight it notice it's running okay there is such a thing as endurance walking but the bible uses the term running which should lead us to ask why i you know i'm going to suggest it's because running is more intensive it's strenuous it's more demanding often harder than walking i don't know what words you would choose to describe running <laughs> like get back from mad people maybe that's what you think in an ancient prophecy in the bible in the Old Testament in Amos 6 1, this ancient prophet, hundreds of years before Jesus, warned God's people about being at ease. I wonder, you know, sometimes people think the Old Testament is that even relevant? <laughs> is it relevant that we need a warning about living our lives with wanting to always be at ease? Do we want to run for Jesus as his followers? So it's running, we need to notice that. It's endurance running. Endurance running is different from other sorts. I'm a bit of a newbie, I don't really know, but you know, that's what people tell me. There's other sorts like stamina running, for example. Stamina is about maintaining maximum effort, that's straining for the most from every step. How can I keep my stamina higher? Endurance is about lasting the distance. It's about completing our race. There's no talk of in this endurance running of overtaking or beating others. Enduring is about making the effort, maintaining the effort, and it's about moving forwards towards Jesus. Keep going in his direction and what he set before us. Jesus got that. When he told parables in Luke 8.15, he talked about different soil. The soil that bore the most fruit, he said, bore that fruit with patience. Sometimes we read that parable, I don't even know if we think like that. No, it bore the most, right. How do I bear the most fruit in my life? With patience, enduring. Our culture we live in wants to live life at 110%. Uh-huh. 110%, that's literally impossible. Isn't it? And yet I hear people say it in all sorts no, absolutely, 110%. This passage is not talking about Christians living 110%, it's talking about them enduring. And actually, recent studies are showing that the most effective endurance runners run most of their time at something like 70 or 80% of their capacity. It seems that that increases their running ability and capacity. So a lot of elite runners are now running slower in order to run better endurance running. Interesting. What would that mean for us? You know, how do we we run in an endurance way for God? Maybe it means we need to live radically different to the culture we're in which is 110%. In order to endure, maybe we need to run differently. Chris Bennett, head coach for Nike Running Global, says this, many people believe they hate running. (laughs) Any in the room now? (laughs) Many people believe they hate running. He says, it's not running they hate. They hate running the wrong way. Maybe there's a way that we all can and that we all will run for Jesus. His way. Has he called us to that? Do we want to live in enduring ways that will enable us to keep following Jesus, even when that is countercultural? So notice it's running, it's endurance running. But also, I want us to notice he it says it's the race set before us. That's important. We're not just called to endure as Jesus followers. It's if the only thing that counts is just get something, get a, a finger over the line. Yes, I made it. We're not just called to endure through life, whatever it is, just to cross the line, whatever I can make of it even or get from it myself. We are called to endure the race set Before us. In other words, life is not entirely our choice. (laughs) Anyone relate to that? I can. Our race is run before and for our Lord and Saviour. He is sovereign, He rules over it all. Somehow, in all that is set before us, there is also Great, great joy set before us by our Lord and Saviour. We will only know that great joy, I believe, if we choose to run the race that's set for us. Some of us spend too much of our race wishing we were running a different race. And if you live like that, you will probably not see the joy that is also set before you. As I read about Jesus, sweating blood before his crucifixion, he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It seems more like the cross had been chosen and set before him. Whatever joy Jesus saw, and this passage tells us about, Whatever joy he endured for didn't seem immediately apparent to other people around him at that time, did it? They watch him in the garden crying out. Well, they fall asleep, frankly. They can't even stay with him in that. It may not be obvious for us either. And yet as our forerunner, as the founder and perfecter of our faith, Jesus has set joy before us. And he's invited us to run our faith with endurance and for that great joy that we can and will know in him. Do we want to run the race set before us or are we still angling for some other kind of route? Endurance runners have a saying, don't fight the trail, take what it gives you. How much more us running for Jesus? We'll run the race set before us best if we keep looking to Jesus. We look to Jesus, we remember him, our great high priest. We depend on him, we obey him, trust him and hope in him. Where we look while running impacts whether we finish. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Looking to Jesus is something we'll do better together. In fact, every aspect of this, you may have noticed in Hebrews, is for us. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Not just me, not just you. They're not just looking at Jim because he's a special Christian to see how he gets on in his race. We are surrounded by a great cloud cloud of witnesses, we consider Jesus so we don't lose heart, it's all of us who need to lay aside our weights and our hindrances we run, we endure, the race set before us it's not you and your race, hope it goes alright, see you next weekend have a good week now the Tarahumara This Mexican running tribe, they they don't run on their own. Friends, family, a whole village will get involved in a run. Running, they, they consider, celebrates and strengthens their relationships. They don't expect an individual to have all the strength or patience or dedication or persistence for the race set before them. That's obvious to them. It doesn't always seem obvious to us, but it's obvious to them. They expect to know more of each other together in the race. And so they want to find ways to run their race together. They expect to grow at the limits of their ability as they encourage each other. No wonder they got good at running. They consider themselves to be most alive... When they're running. And one more thing. Perhaps the most important of all. They love running. (laughs) And as we look to Jesus. I ask. How much more us. We're called. By his word to run. How much more us. To choose. uh, To celebrate. And strengthen our relationships before him to encourage each other with patience and dedication as we look to Jesus together to find persistence in all that is set before us in life to expect to know more of each other to expect to find more of him in the limits of our ability when we are weak he is strong and find ways to encourage each other in that and that's what I want to pray for us as I close let's pray Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And We look to you together in prayer right now. We thank you for your great and amazing love. Thank you for making a way for us at the cross. Praise you for all that you endured there. It's extraordinary to think again and remember that. What amazing love to endure as you did. In that moment as we look to you, Lord Jesus, I pray. I pray for faith and grace to let go of hindrances. To, let, to Just to choose to count things differently to leave weights behind, to choose differently in the moments. I pray as we we remember that, that pinnacle of history, the cross, I pray let that sense of history rush into every moment when we are making what we might otherwise seem as small choices, tiny moments, nobody's watching, kind of decisions that we would know we're making them before the cross. Surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I pray for grace to choose that hero faith kind of life. That is ready to say, this is a history moment. I'm going to make a looking to Jesus kind of decision in that moment. So come, Lord God. We love you. We want to honour you in our lives. Amen thanks for listening to this message from the king's church mid-sussex to connect with us online visit tkc.org.uk we hope you'll join us again soon